Welcome to the Med Device Careers podcast. I'm your host, Fran Moriarty. Med Device Careers is building a community shaping the future of healthcare. Each episode, I'll sit down with leaders and innovators in the med device space to discuss their career path, explore their contributions, and share their advice. Join us today at meddevicecareers.com to grow your knowledge, network, and career. In today's episode, I speak with Nick Spadeanello, Global President of Structural Heart at Boston Scientific. Nick has a 28-year track record of building winning teams, pioneering new therapies, and growing new businesses, starting with Johnson & Johnson, followed by Guidant Corporation, and subsequently Boston Scientific. Nick's experience driving adoption of a then-emerging cardiac resynchronization therapy helped inform his decision to transition to the structural heart space, where he led a team through U.S. commercial launch and expansion of left atrial appendage closure therapy. He's currently responsible for driving R&D, operational, and strategic efforts across the globe. In our conversation, Nick shares his leadership and mentorship philosophy, what he describes as the three phases of a career, goal versus growth orientation, and how he benchmarks success. I found Nick's insights to be broadly applicable and Nick to be an engaged and thoughtful guest. I hope you enjoy. Well, listen, Nick, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. So I thought we could start sort of, you know, with your foray into the uh, into the medical device space. I'd be curious to hear a little bit about what your sort of early interest was, what drew you in, and then what did that opportunity look like for you? Well, first of all, Fran, it's great to be here. And um, anything I can do to kind of help others learn a little bit about how to get into the space, because it can be really competitive and challenging. But um, for me, you know, I was really fortunate to come across some people who were already in the space and just really understanding where in the space, because healthcare, the life science space can be incredibly wide. But as I look at like what really allowed me to get in, it was just taking a couple of things and making some decisions that maybe I wasn't completely comfortable with. So I grew up in the Philadelphia area and someone called me out of nowhere and said, hey, we understand that you may be interested in getting into healthcare. And at that time, I was only maybe six months out of college. And I really was, I was motivated. I was trying to network and trying to call as many people that had connections, whether it was recruiters or people in the business. And just quite frankly, picking up the phone and asking questions of people like, how did you get into this business? Or what do you look for in a candidate you know, that, that you may bring on? And just be inquisitive. And then what happens is people are willing to help. You, know, you just have to find out who those people are, pick up the phone, call them, ask for some advice. At the time, there really wasn't a program like PrepMD where you could go and get into something that really allows you to better prepare uh, for getting into the industry and connecting with the people who are looking for people that are better prepared. But at my time, I just picked up the phone, called people. You'd be surprised how willing people are to just answer your call. And I think today you've got uh, capabilities like LinkedIn to look up people at different companies and just you know, let them know that you're, you're new to the space and you're looking forward to just learning a little bit and asking some questions. And, and generally people will direct you. And for me, what happened was I made that connection and someone said, hey, we understand you're interested. We understand you don't have any experience in the life science space but you're gonna to have to move to Cincinnati, Ohio. And you're gonna to have to come take a specialized training program for a year, and it may or may not work out, but if you graduate and you get certified, you can then go and get what was a sales rep territory, but it would have to be anywhere in the country. 
they weren't specific with you. And this was Johnson & Johnson, and they were trying something new. They were trying to get some young professionals that they thought that would fit the mold that they were looking for. And they basically taught me the language of medicine. Um, I was an accounting and finance major. I thought I was going to get into finance. I developed an interest in healthcare, I think, the, the last year of uh, my undergraduate work. And quite frankly, I just was fortunate to come across that. But you know, I had to leave my comfort zone of where I was in Philadelphia with all my friends, with my connections that I knew, and pack up the small belongings that I had at that point in my life in a U-Haul, travel to Cincinnati, get an apartment, and get into this program. And it was uh, a really, really good decision because it did teach me how to speak the language of medicine, and most importantly, begin my network in the life science space, in particular the medical device business. That raises a good point, and something I, I was I wanted to, to sort of revisit later, which is I think a willingness to go to where the opportunity is, having a geographic flexibility. Yeah, and we could talk a little bit more about that later. But when you're doing sort of the calculus it, it involved in extrapolate that out, multiple inflection points in your career, right? Is that something that is intentional, or is it sort of you're taking it on a case by case basis? Because I, I think that there is something to be said about almost like an inverse relationship between opportunity and inflexibility, right? So by making yourself open and available to move to Cincinnati, for instance, I think it allows you to make yourself available for when that opportunity happens, right? It's, it's how committed and determined you are about whatever it is you want to be or do. A lot of people want to do certain things, but they may not be willing to, to sacrifice whatever it takes. So for me, what I started to learn is if I wanted to get into space uh, and I wanted to do it at that point in time, I was gonna to have to get comfortable being uncomfortable about things. And, and that was moving to a, t a city I knew nobody uh, that lived there or just kinda, of, just the whole situation was gonna be new for me. And quite frankly, there was some opportunities for me there to grow because I just made a whole new group of uh, friends. Uh, I built a whole new business network. And I got into a great company that allowed me to catapult my career in the healthcare space. It was a risk. You know, I think you have to take risks and you've got to be willing to bet on yourself if you believe in yourself. Because I said to myself, I can go do this program, I am gonna do well, and I will graduate, and I'm willing, when I'm done with it after 12 months, to select wherever it makes most sense for me and kind of just follow my faith and just know that this is what I really want and, and make it happen, and it did. And so after 12 months, I graduated. I learned a tremendous amount. I built maybe a network of about a couple of hundred people that. To this day, I still keep in touch with. Uh, it's amazing what the modern technology allows you to do, and people find you, you know, many decades later. But for me, when I graduated, there were five different parts of the country, and three resonated. Uh, one was Santa Barbara, one was Spokane, Washington, uh, one was the Bronx, New York, and the other, the other two were taken immediately with uh, someone who came in the class before me, and they they took those options because you had an option to pass the first go around. So. If the class prior passed on some of the options, you had one more shot at maybe taking a role somewhere. And for me, I took the Bronx, New York, and everybody was like, wow, well, that's New York, and it's the Bronx, and you, you know, is it safe there? And there was a lot of concern. So for me, it was an opportunity to not be too far away from my base network, my family, my friends that I grew up with. It's only a two or three hour car drive away. But it was still an opportunity, again, to go to a big city. New York is to many, the capital of the world uh, for many things. And I was excited. The Bronx is a borough that well, I, I found to be very, very rewarding, very friendly people. 
Um, not everybody wanted to go there. And um, it really, really helped me establish my relationships in the life science space by working with physicians in some of those academic centers that actually really wanted to help young professionals be better, whether they were physicians that were residents or whether they were people in the life science space that really wanted to grow. So I look back to those days and taking that opportunity and what's, what it's allowed me to do. But again, it's getting comfortable with things that maybe most won't want to do. And I did it, it was a big city, it was a big commitment. Th there could have been some maybe easier, you know, people were like, why didn't you take the Santa Barbara job? It, it would be so <laughs> right. much more beautiful. And, but quite frankly, um, you have to really think about where you best fit and how you can grow because you have to really stage your career. Um, I, I believe your career is in, in three different phases. You got, call it when you graduate from college uh, or some specialized training, 23, 24 usually, you got 10 year period, 23 to 24 to 34, then you got phase two, 34 to call it 44, 45, and then phase three, 55 or 45 to 55. And you have to look and you have to time manage these if you really want to grow in your career so you can keep challenging yourself to do the next thing. And if you want to really meet the timelines, because a lot of times people run out of time. Right. And in your career, you're maybe allowed to make one or two mistakes so you don't get thrown off if you really want to be a high level leader or do something that's exceptional. You just have to manage the time in each of those phases and capitalize on entry-level roles, middle management roles, or executive-level roles. So each stage of the journey you're learning, getting the right experiences, but taking chances and knowing what's right for you. And that may mean doing things that maybe aren't normal and maybe have to pack up the family and move and do something different. But that's what will advance your career faster and uh, um, call it build your network, because yeah. as big as your network is, is as big as the opportunities come in. Right, there is a path dependency to that, right? And the experiences that you gain, they compound on themselves. And if you're not thinking strategically about not just the next move, but what's the move after the move and the move after that move, you can position yourself in a way that's gonna set you up for the most swings at bat, right, for that. It's a little bit different. I, I had, you know, sort of a similar, you know, I went through prep MD. I was open to any, any geography. I ended up in New York. And, you know, for me, it was, it was the best case scenario. It's cliche, but they say if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. And I felt that way in particular about, about the cardiac or the management space, which, you know, you're familiar with. So talk to me about your transition from um, what you were doing uh, with J&J &J to how you ended up working at Guidant. Yeah, it's a great question. And you know, J&J &J was a phenomenal experience. It allowed me to kind of really build a strong foundation for my career. And uh, I was working with uh, cardiac surgeons. We were doing a lot of advanced work in the uh, endosurgery world. Um, we were doing some uh, video-assisted thor thoracoscopic procedures. And we also started to do uh, some advanced, uh, just um, off-pump coronary artery bypass grafting procedures. So working with these cardiac surgeons, some of them in between cases, so when we would finish one case, they were like, well, I've got a, a defibrillator case that uh, is up next, and they've got this new technology, cardiac resynchronization therapy. And at that time, the cardiac surgeons were working with the electrophysiologists that were mostly doing the programming the device, and they were assisting with more of, um, uh, of the procedure but they were collaboratively working. Yeah. And so they asked to uh, have me come in and just observe a case. And I remember one of the cardiac surgeons said, you should really look at this. This is the next frontier. You've done some amazing things 
with J&J in the endosurgery world. We did laparoscopic cholecystectomy. We did a lot of the op-cab work at that time. Heart port, keyhole access for cardiac surgery was up and coming. So I, I built a network with cardiac surgeons and they introduced me to some of their electrophysiology co uh, contacts. And you know, as they started to tell me a little bit about the space, I started to research cardiac resynchronization therapy and I was like, wow, this is really transformative and this is the next thing. And so for me, I became interested in it. And in uh, one of the cases, uh, they had some of the research scientists in, in the case, along with the local regional uh, sales director. And um, uh, my network, my cardiac surgeons that I knew introduced me to these individuals. and. We, we exchanged a contact, we kept in touch, and uh, when I knew that they had an opening available, they reached out to me, they asked me if I would have an interest, and the rest is history. I made the transition over to, at that time, Guidant Corporation. That was before Boston Scientific acquired uh, Guidant, and I really got into that space. Cardiac resynchronization therapy it was an exciting time, and really it helped me again broaden my network, get to know a whole new group of people in the cardiology world, which were electrophysiologists and, uh, and a new company. So that's how I transitioned from, call it, the endosurgery business at J&J over to uh, what was legacy guidance in the, in the cardiac rhythm yeah. management field. And so then for your territory, were you still in the Bronx or had you sort of expanded? Yeah, so it's interesting because what happened was the first couple of years I was in the Bronx, uh, when I was with J&J, and it's almost like you get promoted, like now you're gonna get the other boroughs, like, you know, to get Manhattan was the borough uh, th that you wanted, and you know, you had a lot of the prestigious uh, academic centers there. And so, you know, a couple years after I worked in the Bronx and was very successful there, they started to give me these uh, key institutions in Manhattan, and, and that's where I was at Lenox Hill Hospital and at Cornell where I met some of the physicians that allowed me to bridge over to uh, Legacy Guidance. The speed in New York City is unlike no other, and I'm sure you experienced it and felt it. I mean, just things happen exponentially faster. And, and a lot of times when people come and ask me who I'm mentoring, like, how do I accelerate my career? And I tell them, get some experience in a major market, a big city, because things generally happen faster. You know, people like will move on. So in some of the smaller cities, which are equally important, sometimes people will make a lifetime career. You know, there may be reps who are really successful in these smaller cities and they do an exceptional job, but they could be there for 30 years. And so the opportunities for, to really transition or get promoted into these roles in these smaller markets are less likely. So, but the bigger markets, there's things that are happening. Um, there's more research engagement at times. And so it, it was exhilarating and things were happening fast. And we were fortunate because we had a lot of centers that were doing some of the initial research work. And you know, you had the good and the bad. I mean, you saw things that uh, other areas did see. Uh, a lot of people would pay a lot of attention to you. Uh, again, the academic centers are more willing to really just help people, even who are new to the equation, if you're just coming into the job, just teach because the effort was just to help everybody, you know, advance medicine. Right. And so those academic centers have that patience. So they really would look to you or your research engineer that you would go into if you were doing some experimental work. And you basically gain credibility and built relationships that are everlasting. I mean, I've got relationships that are 30 years old that have been phenomenal, that have really helped me to this day be who I am and help me kind of catapult my career. I was just with a cardiac surgeon in Miami last week who's helping us with some research efforts on the valvular side of the business. And uh, we exchange people who now no longer are practicing in uh, cardiac surgery, but 
you know, he's a big investigator for us um, in, in the valve work we're doing and just exchanging the network of people that we knew and it was, you know, it gave the opportunity to just elevate our trust and our relationship given we knew the same circle of people in the network. Again, networking and continuing to stay fresh at all levels of your career with people you may have met two or three decades ago um, really builds on your brand and yeah. helps you in the future. So you mentioned mentoring. If we were to overlay that onto the three phases of your career, I would imagine in phase one, you may be doing some mentoring, maybe like there's a new hire you're, you're helping, but you're probably the mentee in that situation, right? Talk to me a little bit about early in your career, whether it was with J&J or, or when you moved over to Guidant, what the role that mentors played for you, and then maybe if there were things that you then internalized and then would sort of deploy later on in your career as you started to mentor other people. Yeah, this is a really important question. I, I really believe that you need to be mentored by someone at all phases of your career. I, I don't care where you are. I don't care if you're a CEO or a board of director. You need someone who you can just get some sound advice from. So for me, it played a big role. And I had, I've had many of them throughout the course of time. And I have many of them today. I've got my own uh, professional coach and people that I really lean on that I just know can help me make decisions that I feel are already good, just validate them, or maybe just drive some inspiration or creative thinking around things that we may solve for, just possibilities. So early on, it was just learning uh, about how you can do things better, how I can really best position myself, not just to get a role, but once you're in the role, be able to perform in the role, right? And just ask really good questions like, what does success really look like? What are the characteristics of an individual in whatever role you want to get into? What are the patterns? Like, what, why are they successful? What do they do? How do they win? And so for me, really speaking to people and getting that counsel at an early part of my career has helped me develop. And so to, even today, like if I want to be a CEO, you know, how do you talk to people who are CEOs and not just CEOs, but were successful CEOs? Or what are the biggest challenges that really kept them up at night and what would they would recommend to future CEOs? So at all stages in your life, you need someone that helps you make the right decisions. Um, and I've had many of them throughout my career. And, and I would highly advise you, I don't care where you are in your career, get someone that really wants to invest time in you because that's gonna help you be better at whatever it is you wanna be. Even if you are doing excellent in your role, because there's goal-oriented people and there's, call it, growth-oriented people. You know, goal-oriented people will wake up in the morning, I've got these three or four or five things I want to do, hit my quota, convert this customer, do whatever you have to do, and that's important. But growth-oriented people, you, know, you have to really be mentored by someone that's going to prepare you for change. Because growth-oriented people realize that, I think it was Babe Ruth who says, the, the home run that won uh, the game today won't win the game tomorrow. And so you have to really be ready for change. And uh, for me, having mentors really keep you honest and inspire you that really want to invest in you makes a big difference. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And if you think about having that growth orientation, it's an investment in the process and being open to learning because I think if you're going to set yourself up for success, you have to be a constant learner and that could be learning different sort of facets of the business, learning new technologies. And with that, which I think ties back to your earlier point, uh, which I think is a good one and it's one that I would emphasize, especially with people starting out, is that you have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's 
where growth happens. That's where change happens, right? Is if you're putting yourself in a situation where you're sort of learning in real time. So, you know, you mentioned CERT as sort of a frontier technology, and then Guidant gets acquired by Boston Scientific, and then Boston Scientific acquires Atrotech in 2011, right? So, again, another move for you from, from the cardiac rhythm management side to the structural side with a, a move from a different division. You know, there's an opportunity to get on the ground floor of a novel technology, and, and there's some excitement around there. Were there any other factors that sort of played a role in, in that decision process for you? Like, I'd be curious to hear sort of, you know, how that came about and, and what really motivated you to make that move. Yeah, so for me, you know, I love new technologies, new therapies, and I think it just, whatever you are, the individual that you are, I mean, some people are very comfortable doing the same thing for two, three decades. I, I like to just continue to learn. I, I think I shared with you, I. I have this mentality is there's no finish line to learning and growing and developing. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much success you've had. I don't care what title you have. If you have the mentality that you want to keep growing and learning. For me, I just like new therapies that I thought really were going to go somewhere. And just taking that jump and saying, hey, I've been very successful here. I could do this for another decade or two and be very comfortable with what I'm doing. But I love learning and trying to see if I can have repeatable success. And for me, I looked at these new technologies. Number one, did it drive passion in me to really see, can I help patients? Because for me, I'm in healthcare because there is self-actualization that you get in terms of helping people live longer, live better. Um, equally, it's challenging and you're around a lot of intelligent people uh, that care. They care to make life better or one's life better. And it happens to have a very fruitful and um, rewarding uh, aspect of it financially if you're successful. Uh, it's not easy, it takes a big commitment. And so for me, as I looked at these various therapies moving from cardiac rhythm management, which continues to grow and there's electrophysiology and there's all these new therapies and technologies that continue to evolve and really help patients, whether they have just, a, uh, just various rhythm disorders, to just structural heart issues that need some sort of, um, call it repair or protection. To me, it, it excites me to see these spaces, and I kind of have stuck to, I have stuck to cardiovascular, I should probably say, um, but I've looked at different things to kind of just really allow me to do two things, keep growing, keep challenging myself, not only in different therapeutic options for cardiovascular, but growing as a professional, taking on increasing roles of responsibility. Right. You know, mastering what I could do individually as a contributor, then trying to master things maybe as a middle level manager with a group of people. You know, because I think success is, can you do it yourself? Then you got what I call significance, which is, can you do it with others? And then there's greatness. You know, I'm working on, how do you, how do you bring the best out of others and really do what they think was impossible and let them be really good. To me, that's what I think about in terms of uh, that pattern. And, and I learned a lot of that from John Maxwell, some of the work that he has. He's got a great podcast with many episodes. So for me, um, getting into these new areas allowed me to achieve all that. Right. And, uh, and, and, and you never gotta stop thinking about growing because I think you can broaden your network, keep it interesting for yourself, challenge yourself, and really give you a reason and inspiration to get up out of bed in the morning and just go chase something new. It's for a good cause. Yeah, and I think about an attraction to novel technologies. There's something, I think, exciting and innovative about that. But also, I would imagine it could be challenging because you're almost making the market in real time, right? You're trying to 
navigate both external stakeholders and then internal stakeholders. Right. What was it like from an integration standpoint? What was it like from a team management standpoint? Like, I feel like you're you're almost waging, you know, you've got two fronts, right? You've got like the, the external front, which is like, you're trying to drive awareness of the therapy. There could be like regulatory issues. There could be developing KOLs, but then also like internally within the company and getting buy-in and, and working with other divisions. I don't know if you can speak to any of that. Yeah, all the above again. I mean, there's a lot <laughs> that really transpires in making what is a good idea to advance care uh, come to life. And so in the Watchman experience, to your question, and I think about this because, you know, I'm working on another project now, and it kind of takes me back to what did I learn in the left atrial appendage closure Watchman experience when we acquired uh, Atrotech. So you, you acquire these companies that have a certain culture, and they've had a certain level of success. And then they've got to integrate with these other cultures, you know, at this, in this example, Boston Scientific, bigger company. And as you're coming in, and I, I was a role, in a role to help integrate with, uh, call it the general manager that was in position, who was really talented. And, uh, and you know that they're going to likely move on after a period of time, and they hand things off to us. But how do you take all of that success and integrate it in a way where you don't lose that momentum and that skill and that talent into a company that has to learn and may have some better efficiencies to make it all work. So that, there's a skill to that. There's people who are masters at integration and I had a, a group of people that helped me with that. Because you gotta know how to integrate manufacturing, clinical strategy, development strategy with the engineers, commercial strategy with the people so they stay on and they help teach other people that may be wanting and willing to do that. Um, it takes a special person, I realized early on in integration to do that, so integration is a big part of successfully acquiring a company, bringing them in. For me, I was fortunate that I had some good people skills and just being flexible and understanding, but also knowing when to be disciplined and firm about things. And you know, a lot of that was just mentors I've had through the past. Matt O'Neill is probably the person you know, who gave me a break into leadership and uh, obviously you know Matt really well. And I think he's the person that probably is the best I've ever seen in terms of talent management. You know, knowing where talent is, how to develop talent, how to set expectations, how to inspire them, and how to really kind of move them along in career progression. So taking that, that aspect of things that I learned from, from someone like Matt, who gave me a break into my medical device leadership, yeah. and doing that in an integration role, and then doing other things. Because what you want to do is, we integrated the company, but we didn't have US FDA approval. And we, we hit all kinds of challenges, you know, to kind of get approval to work with FDA. And so my job was to kind of understand how our clinical team and our regulatory team really work with the FDA to convince them of why the solution is safe and effective. And now you have your license to go out and help other patients. But then you've got to work with a commercial team and make sure that you safely select and train centers you're going to take this to. Um, you got to make sure that economically the CVSL and the hospital administration is on board with investing in a program. And you start out small and you get a good group of people that can help you. And I was really blessed to have great people that understood the mission. My job was to really define the vision and where we're going and then go find good people that could carry out the mission. And I was fortunate to have a lot of great people in my network that I've known through the years to be able to fill in these roles and be able, what I think is most important when you're doing this is scale because you need safety and efficacy for any therapy or product, but then you got to figure out how to scale after you've integrated. And we were fortunate, we took some very aggressive means um, 
from a commercial standpoint, really high, uh, hiring highly technical, reliable people that knew how to safely introduce the technology, aligning with uh, key opinion leaders throughout the, uh, the, the electrophysiology and interventional cardiology space to make sure that when they opened up a program, they set the right example. Our philosophy was do no harm. Uh, this was an elective procedure. Um, for 50 plus years, warfarin was used to uh, treat patients who were at risk um, for stroke, who have AFib, and this was something new we were pioneering. And so picking the right people, having those folks safely introduce the technology, now scaling it to thousands of operators throughout the world that are offering this, and from treating the first patient to treating now thousands of patients, tens of thousands of patients annually, we're just helping as many people as we can and really exemplifying what it takes to do it in a safe, effective, scalable in what I call an economic way where there's viability that it makes sense. Because in all of this, we got approval, but then we needed to make sure that they had an economic pathway. We needed to get reimbursement, and that was you know, an effort in itself. But it, it looks really easy now, call it six years later, but there was a lot of uh, roadblocks. There were a lot of things that you know, we ran into a number of hurdles that we had to overcome. But if you hire the right people, who have the right winning mindset mm -hmm. and are determined and have good judgment, uh, good moral compass, you can make anything happen. You have to have integrity, you, know, you have to have passion. You know, there's a certain, if not like courage, like a boldness, right? Because you're, you're out there really trying to, to drive growth and to drive adoption. And then you have to couple that with the ability to, to execute outcomes driven, being able to prioritize, and then I think really developing and mentoring people, which we've talked a little bit about. You're gonna hit challenges, and if you're not passionate and you don't believe in what you're doing, and you, I mean, when I say believe, you've gotta believe, because there's plenty of challenges, and there's plenty, plenty of long days, and there's plenty of people that are trying to knock you down, there's plenty of people that will doubt you. Uh, but if you have passion, number one, um, and belief, uh, that is the number one core characteristics in anyone I hire or that I look to any leader. Number two, uh, a moral compass, just good judgment. Uh, you just get put into these compromising situations. You see some of the, even the most successful people in the world. They're just, you know, you kind of wonder why they would execute bad judgment. But there's, you know, everyone's human and we live in a forgiving world as long as you realize you did something wrong and you admit it. and. Um, you know, it, you got to look at those two things, like when you, whenever you bring anyone on to your mission, because I believe in leadership, hiring is the most important thing. There's no such thing as one person, one individual contributor really making it all happen. You can have some really bright, talented people, but it's how good are you at identifying talent, developing them, putting them in the right seat in the bus in whatever mission you're involved with, and really promoting them and letting them grow and be the best they could possibly be. And so it's passion and influence, call it uh, number one. Number two, moral judgment. And number three, and this is where I think in my career I've learned through many people, it's your ability to influence. Okay, how can you make a no, I don't believe this works to yes, I'm a believer now. And there's a lot of just different things one has to do, whether it's fact gathering, whatever it is that you, you, you try to move a, a no to a yes, or I like this more than something else, I'm gonna use it more. The ability to influence, influence people in the group that you lead, influence customers to use more of your product or service. So those are the three things I look for. And if I'm looking to hire a high level leader, 
my philosophy and leadership is, give me a track record of who you hired. This is the question I ask high-level leaders. Who have you hired that you would consider the best two or three hires, and where are they today? That tells me like they're hiring talent. Did they hire good people that maybe aren't doing big things, or did they hire some really good producers? Um, because when I hire higher-level higher people, I want to see that they're, they're really got a good eye for talent, and they've developed them, and they're doing bigger things, right. right? So that, to me, is my leadership philosophy. It's all about people, those characteristics, looking for that, and making sure that, because what happens is then when they go higher, they should be looking for the same things, and now you've got the momentum of a group of people that are thinking of a somewhat similar mindset, but still has enough differentiation to do what you have to do. Right. Yeah, and I think you know your point about influence. It's like that may look different depending on who you're speaking to, right? You you may be from a tactical perspective, right? Like you may be employing different um, different tools in your arsenal, right? On how that gets achieved. What's your perspective on the current landscape, and um, you know what excites you, and then you know what do you see as being some some challenges and headwinds? Yeah, well, for me. Um we're doing so many exciting things, right? Like you, you highlighted Watchmen, and that's been a great experience. Um, as I look at you know working with leaders across uh, uh, the globe, um, you know how do we integrate these new therapies in different markets? It's different, right? The regulatory pathway, the reimbursement pathway, and we look at these new technologies that we want to birth. We've got a, a great valve that's approved in Europe right now that we want to bring to the U.S. market. In the left atrial appendage closure Watchman market, you know we've pioneered this space, taught thousands of people, uh, but now in the valve space, we're more of a follower. You know, we're going to be uh, third to market in the U.S., maybe fourth to market in the U.S., depending on how things play out. And so, like, as you evolve these different therapies or you get into these different markets, these businesses are in different phases. And I'm excited about being involved, but the people you have on the mission to help you really come in and help drive, call it the influence, um, to really get more consideration or usage, will require you know, a certain mindset. You know? So if you're pioneering, you're gonna have a certain mindset to know that you're gonna hit different roadblocks or experience level and vice versa. If you're you know, entering a business that may have a little bit maturity or somebody else is pioneering, your mindset has to be a little bit different on how do you convert share. Right. Um, so I'm excited about these different technologies that we're involved in um, and, and looking at. There's different things that I can't speak about that we're looking at. And how do you have the right team assembled throughout the globe um, to really be able to deliver upon that. Yeah, if we sort of extrapolate that out, so a different sort of, let's say, life cycle of the product and then your position within that market, what's been your experience sort of like with different geographic markets? Obviously, the way that these different locations are doing business, you know, we were talking about how like, you know, Europe is not a monolith, right? There are different right. markets within Europe, you know, the APAC market, having strategic operations in these markets, like what have you learned? And were there any markets in particular that maybe like surprised you or, or that you, you, you found to be like uh, interesting? It's a great question. For me, uh, Fran, you know, every culture is a little different, but the problem is the same, you know? So in cardiovascular disease, whether it's uh, a, a rhythm disorder, whether working with electrophysiologists um, in Europe or Japan or China, you know, the problems you're trying to solve are the same, but the approach in actually going about it with them is different. And for me, that's been a tremendous learning opportunity because, you know, the approach you take, so, you know, 
you may have an approach you take with your customer today, um, you know, and you may have certain questions you may ask, and you may validate a certain way, and you may demonstrate a certain way, and you may close them a certain way to really try to move the progression of whatever you're trying to accomplish with them. It's a little different depending on the culture, yeah. you know, and how you approach that. The best way I've found for me, and it's been a learning lesson for me, uh, I mean, I've learned a lot, is really getting in with the local country leaders and just understanding that process. Like, this is the end goal, this is where we are, what do you recommend being the best path of trying to accomplish what we want to accomplish culturally? Mm -hmm. And it's a little different everywhere you go. Even in Europe, there's no one Europe, as I had mentioned to you earlier. You know, Germany is different than Italy. Italy is different than the UK. The UK is different than, than France or Spain. And so culturally, just how you, how you approach them, you have to take your cues from the local leaders that help you really make the right decisions. Uh, it's really key. Japan, the culture is significantly different. The values and the respect system there, if you're not entrenched, uh, you may not make it past just the initial hello. You know, uh, you may not be shaking hands. You, you, you may have a little social distancing um, in your approach when you, when you see someone. So you have to really learn, take your cues from the local leaders who have some sense of training in your company that's um, the same, but because everyone knows what the mission is that we're trying to accomplish, but how do you do it in the most respectful way? Right. That's with a customer, that's with regulators in that geography, um, that's with proving the clinical science in certain, uh, certain ways, like how do you get the science or the marketing to patients and or physicians in a certain way that's accepted. Um, an example is we have a direct to patient, direct to um, uh, referring model here in the US with some things we're doing. You could never do that in certain parts of the world. Uh, it just wouldn't work. And so you have to learn and take your cues from the local leadership on what works best, what doesn't, um, and really process that feedback so you're successful. It's like really important and it's like, it, it kind of ties back to this notion of like um, having a circle of competency. And, and it doesn't mean that like you're incompetent outside, but just knowing that like, where am I in that circle? Am, am I inside or am I outside? And if you're outside, you know that then you need to rely, to your point, on those people who are inside their circle of competency. And that could be about, you know, that could sort of um, be a, a variety of different things, right? Whether it's, to your point, like how are, like, you know, what's the regulatory process in this country or what are the customs in this country? And I think recognizing that and then uh, utilize those resources in a way that's going to be effective overall is, um, I, I think, from a strategy standpoint, is really critical. And, and you know, Fran, one thing you mentioned earlier for me, just moving from these different, uh, call it, um, divisions, you know, from cardiac rhythm management to our interventional structural heart, you know, the cultures even within the company for different therapies or different companies I've worked for have helped me enhance my skills to learn how to work with different cultures throughout the world. Um, and you know, there's a culture you know, in the organization you're affiliated with that may be different than the culture in my company. You know, there's some similarities, but there's always gonna be difference, differences. And uh, you know, I'd say you know, for those listening, when you go call on a customer in a hospital, the culture from one hospital to the next may be different. Right. So being really um, fine-tuned and to be able to adapt to that will likely increase your chance of success if you're calling on these customers because right. people are a little bit different. 
So with you know thinking about success, um, you know, and we talked about earlier how uh, for growth-oriented people, you know, it's a process, right? And it's and it's constantly learning, not just from your successes, but also where maybe things didn't go the way that you had planned, maybe on, on an organizational level, like where. You, you, you had a strategy that you were executing and it didn't go the way that you thought and, and less about the, you know, what that thing was, but more about like what, what did you learn from that and how did yeah. you then course correct? So I think what resonates with me the most, um, I'll go back to trying to get FDA approval with Watchmen. Um, we were going to uh, our second panel to get approval and um, the first panel, uh, HRTech, was unsuccessful. Um, we felt that we could acquire the company and resolve some of the issues the FDA saw and go to a follow-up panel. So here we are. We've been working for a couple years to get ready for this panel, and we started hiring people because usually you go to panel, then you know a couple months later you, you, you are granted approval. Um, so hiring all these people, brought them on board. Some people left companies they were at for a number of years. We were anticipating we're going to get approval and we're going to get ready to launch. And we were really excited about this. Well, you know, you, you start to find out that things don't always go your way. And that's very common. We did not get what we wanted in that second panel. We had to go to a third panel, which was going to be a six to 12 month wait because we had to collect some more data. And, you know, here you got a bunch of people wondering, wow, what does this mean? I made this move, I've done all this training, I was ready to launch, you know. And so for me, the moment and the learning experience and what I would share with the listeners is expect the unexpected and get your mindset ready. Because, you know, a lot of things are just so mentally driven. And just try to find, reach deep within you, you know, going back to your passion and your belief. Because I still believe that we could help patients. I, I believed in what we were doing was right. We just had to make sure we had the right data set to convince the FDA to allow us to go help more people. And it was gonna take a little bit more time. Right. So for me, it was how do you be as genuine with the team as you possibly can and inspire them to continue to believe and that you know there's gonna be detours sometimes. Um, you, you, you may take a, a road that you think is gonna take you where you wanna go, but sometimes it's, it's not straight. There's gonna be some, some turns or some zigzags and just being comfortable understanding that nothing is ever like it's gonna appear in your career or whatever job or program you're affiliated with and, and just be flexible and understanding. And so for me, trying to just explain that, be genuine, inspire people and have the right mindset to have people believe that, you know, in the end that it'll all work out and it did. Yeah. Um, it doesn't always work out, but it did in that situation, and, and that really kind of blew up the initial plans. No, again, I think it comes back to like this notion of if you've done the internal work, you can react to how things change on the ground. You've got sort of a north star, if you will, that you can look at. Kind of keeping on this uh, track of, of you know, constantly learning, is there anything that you, you're currently reading or is there a book that you've read that really sort of taken to heart or that's had like a, a profound effect on you? It could be like personally, it could be professionally. Yeah, there's, I mean, I, I love reading. Um, and it's hard sometimes to, to read, you know, sometimes it may be a podcast while right. I'm working out. Uh, that's, uh, that's really helped my career. But in terms of reading, um, there's, there's several things. You know, I, I, I referenced John Maxwell, which has helped me for decades in terms of really shaping my leadership. And there's just so many great things there that I, th I would highly recommend. 
But he had the 21 indispensable characteristics uh, of a leader. Uh, I think that was a good book that was written a number of years ago that I, that I go back to and reference and read um, often. Uh, I don't just read it, I read it many times. Um, Jim Collins is good to great. Uh, to me, that, that really kind of starts to allow you to understand different levels of managers and leaders and what they're made up of and some of the science behind that. Um, I go back to that book often because, um, you know, you always want to strive for greatness and uh, really kind of reminding yourself those categories and what you're dealing with. Or how do you get people to different levels um, during their career? And then most recently, uh, you know, another book that's good uh, is uh, uh, Relentless um, from Tim Grover and just talks about just, just how um, strong-minded you have to be about whatever it is that you want. Um, he references uh, Michael Jordan in his book. I mean, Michael Jordan was uh, the greatest of all time in, in, in the NBA, or at least one of the greatest of all times. And just like, he references how Michael was a good athlete, but he's worked with better athletes. But Michael's mindset was the best in terms of being so determined to strive for perfection and never getting there, right? And so, you know, and then there's another book called uh, Winning that Tim Grover that I just uh, recently read as, uh, as a follow-up. So, and that's more about just how, it, it, there's a lot of like cost that goes into wanting to win at whatever you do. And the mindset you have to program yourself to have, like if you wanna be the best at what you wanna be, um, you just gotta put the time in and there's a lot of commitment to that. There's a lot of people that wanna win, but they don't know how to win or are they really determined to win at whatever they do? And so that, th those readings inspire me because it just makes you humble no matter how successful you have been at whatever role, that you can always be better, have a, a you never arrive mentality. Right. And to me, I, I think those readings have, have helped me in my career and I, I go back to them often. You know, I like to normally, uh, I'll ask sort of like, if you've got advice, I mean, we, you've given a lot, right? Whether it's being comfortable with being uncomfortable, having a, a, an openness, ge you know, say geographically, finding a mentor, knowing where you're at in your career and sort of the setting up the pieces or the steps to get to the next level. Is there anything else that you might say to somebody who's interested in entering the medical device space or maybe they, uh, they're in it and they're looking for a way to sort of advance their career or seeking out a mentor or something to that effect? Yeah, I'd say don't be afraid to take risks and don't be afraid to fail. Now you can't make that the norm, but it's okay to fail. I think in our careers we're allowed to do that a couple of times. But as long as you're exercising good judgment and the, the, the chance you took wasn't absolutely foolish, I mean, if there's ice and all of a sudden the temperature goes from 40 degrees to 90 degrees, use good judgment. Don't <laughs> jump on that ice because you're gonna probably fall in. But take some chances, and I really mean that, because if you take some chances and you fail a couple of times, that, that just tells people that you're really pushing your limits and you're trying really hard. Um, and they see that you can get back up and, and just get going again at whatever you were. I think that that's really important because that's gonna open up a lot more opportunities. That'll allow you to achieve your full potential. And I just think that that's taking some risks is, is, is a good thing. And uh, you know, be smart about it, but don't be afraid to do that. And that's part of the little bit of the, you know, get, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. Well, Nick, I mean, I think there's just so much that uh, people are going to be able to take away from this um, and, you know, I think immediately sort of apply to where they're at in their career and, um, you know, maybe sort of adapt that, uh, that growth 
oriented perspective. So I really appreciate you taking the time and walking me through sort of your your path through the space and, and you know the advice that you've both gained and that you're now giving. So um, thanks again. I appreciate it. I applaud that that you're doing this. You're going to help hopefully a lot of people just really rethink you know how they can improve themselves. And I'm honored to you know be a guest here. And you asked very insightful questions and. It's driven some deep thinking in myself. So I appreciate uh, being a guest. Great. Thanks again. If you enjoy hearing conversations like this one, please subscribe to the Med Device Careers podcast, leave a review, and recommend to a friend to help spread the word. Are you searching for a new career, looking to hire the next Med Device star, want to grow your network, or are simply looking for a reliable source of Med Device news and insights? Med Device Careers is creating a platform for professional development and opportunity cultivating growth through engaging content and conversations, and connecting MedDevice professionals across the globe. Go to meddevicecareers.com and create a profile today. You can also follow MedDevice Careers on all social platforms, and I can also be found on Twitter, at PacedBeat, or on LinkedIn, where I'll share what I'm reading and learning as I continue to grow my own career. Thanks again.